smaller, I look bigger. You know, I was thinking a lot about this lesson. I thought a lot about Easter. I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I always wondered, can the Bible really be trusted? Because everyone goes to church on Easter. And then it kind of fades away. And I think, well, do people really believe that the Bible is from God? Is it true? The more and more I thought about it, the more and more I thought, what an appropriate place to start today. You know, a mother called her son one, uh, called her son one Sunday morning to get out of bed and get ready for church. He replied, I'm not going to church. His mother said, yes, you are going to church. Get out of that bed. He replied, give me one good reason why I should go. She replied, I'll give you three good reasons. Come on, mama. Number one, I am your mother, and I say you're going. That's the classic. Two, you're 38 years old, so you're, so you're old enough to know better. That's number two. And three, you're the pastor, so you need to be there. So... I'm glad I'm here this morning without my mama's prodding. What is Easter? Is it about the eggs? You know, three dumb guys just died and are at the pearly gates of of heaven and St. Peter tells them that they can enter the gates if they can answer one simple question. St. Peter asks the first man, what is Easter? The man replies, oh, that's easy. It's the holiday in November when everyone gets together and eats turkey and is thankful. (laughs) Wrong, Peter replies, and proceeds to ask the second man the same question. What is Easter? The second man replies, no, Easter is the holiday in December when we put up a nice tree, exchange presents, and celebrate the birth of Jesus. Peter looks at him in in disgust. The third man smiles and looks at at St. Pete in his eye and says, I know what Easter is. Easter is the Christian holiday that coincides with the Jewish celebration of Passover. Jesus and his disciples were eating at the Last Supper, and he was later deceived and turned over to the Romans by one of his disciples. The Romans took him to be crucified and was stabbed in his side, made him wear a crown of thorns, and he was hung on a cross. He was buried in a nearby cave, which was sealed off by a large boulder. Every year, the boulder is moved moved aside so that Jesus can come out every single year. And if he sees his shadow, it'll be six more weeks of winter. What is Easter? Why are you here? Are you here because your mama says you're going to church with me? I'm not going to ask the boys sitting to my left over here that question. Because they're bigger, handsome, and stronger than I am. But that's my my friend, the Chavez family over there. She cuts my hair. So whenever I have a bad haircut, I tell her, hey, it always grows back. Don't worry. It's like Munchie Chi over here. It grows back. I'm like Pia Chet, but, uh, uh, a Chia Pet as a kid. My, my brother was like, you're Chia Pet. You're never going to lose your hair. That's right. I'm never going to lose my hair. In John chapter 5, Jesus says this. I wonder if I have it up here. Let's go back to the uh, uh, one slide. In John 5 verse 39, this is what Jesus is talking to. The, he's talking to the, the religious people. People that know their Bible. People that study their Bible. And they're called the Pharisees. And he says this to them. He says, look, you guys. You guys study the Bible diligently. 
Because you think that in them you possess eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me and have life. He's saying that the entire Old Testament, because the new wasn't written yet, is about me, Jesus. He's like, you study them, but you don't come to me because you're prideful, but it's written about me. So this morning, we're going to put that to the test. We're going to say if, the, if we can find Jesus in the Old Testament. And if we can find Jesus in the Old Testament, then it says something about who wrote the Bible. It says something about whether you can trust the Bible. Okay? Look in your Bibles. Let me see if I can find this. Here we go. Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. This was written about... 600 years before Jesus came to the earth. And this was the situation that the prophet Micah, God's people had, 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 had drifted so far from God that he says, you know what, I'm going to send you a someone, a ruler. Okay? And that's, that's turned out to be Jesus. But we're going to take a look at some of the specifics here. It says, marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. Because back then they had, a, they had a physical king, and what God was about to present to them was gonna, there was going to be a spiritual king. But you, Bethlehem of Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. And that Hebrew word is an eternal time, so before there ever was. Now the city of the birth of Jesus was going to be a city called Bethlehem Ephrathah. And it was in the area of Judah. Now, every time you see where the Messiah is going to be born, it always mentions Judah because in Luke 2, we'll read this, and this is kind of the, the, the New Testament, what happened when Joseph, the father of Jesus, why he went down to Bethlehem. It says, in the days of Caesar Augusta, he issued a decree that was a census kind of like our 2010 census, that should be taken of the entire Roman world. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of, the town of Nazareth, which was northern. He had to go all the way back down to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. When they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloth and placed him in a manger because there are no guests or no room available at the inn. The reason why it's important because there were actually two Bethlehems. There was a northern Bethlehem, which you find in the book of Judges, and there's a southern Bethlehem. And God says the Messiah, because Joseph was from Nazareth. His dad, they were kind of living up there. That's where, that's where before Jesus was born, that's where Mary and Joseph lived. So in order to go down to the census, uh, Joseph had to go <laughs> down here. Now, do you think Joseph knew that going, I got to go down because in Micah 2 it says, now remember, when his wife got pregnant, it wasn't from him. So already he's like, whoa, what happened there? You think, you know, Joseph say, well, if I just take him to this Bethlehem, you know, it's a lot easier. It's a lot, you know, church is a lot closer. It's right there. I have to go over the grade? Uh-oh. But Joseph 
selected by God was a man of character. Because of his character, he goes down and he's honest about where he's from, and that is the town of Judah. This is where David uh, also was, was born. So it's interesting that God in Micah is very specific, because this is Judah Ephrathah of the Judea area. He's very specific where this Messiah is going to be born. And this is way before the book of Luke was written. Way before. Okay? So, let's continue. Another prophecy. Isaiah chapter 9. This is written about 750 B.C. And this is what this says about the Messiah, where he's going to be living, living his life. The land of the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali was once disgraced. But the future will bring honor to this region, from the Mediterranean eastward to the land on the other side of the Jordan, and even to Galilee itself, where the foreigners live. A child is born to us, a son is given to us, and he'll be called our ruler. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. This is a prophecy about Jesus. And it says that in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. You know, I don't know where that's at. Do you? So I had to look at my Bible map. And this is a picture of the oldest manuscript that we physically have in our, in our society today. This is the oldest. Before this was found, it was, we, the oldest manuscript was 1000 A.D., and then in the, in the Dead Sea, which we found the Dead Sea Scrolls, the book of Isaiah was found in completeness. And it was, it was carbon dated 14 to 200 B.C. So what this says is that, is that they didn't cook the books after the fact. Okay, because the biggest critique of the Bible is they must have cooked the books. Oh, is Bethlehem? Oh, let's change that. Ephrathah? Oh, yeah, Ephrathah. Let's change it. Here is your Bible! So here's the proof that it was written long before that. And so look what it says. This is the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This is where it says that the the Messiah will live and have his ministry. Okay? And guess if if you overlay this map, this is the ancient map of the tribes. Because God says that this people will be blessed because that's where the Messiah is going to be living. If you overlay this map with the map of Jesus... You see that it's the place of Jesus of Nazareth. That's where Jesus grew up, in Nazareth. This was the area of Naphtali and Zebulun. Isaiah said that 750, if you don't believe that, then believe the Dead Sea Scrolls, 200 BC, said that Jesus would be from this area. And he was known as Jesus of Nazareth, not Jesus of Judea. Because he was only born in Bethlehem. Then after the census was over, Joseph went right back up to Nazareth. Because that's where they lived. And so the Messiah lived here. Is that a coincidence? You make the call. Because we're putting the Bible to the test this morning, are we not? Got to put it to the test. If you're going to believe it and follow it, if it's going to help your marriage and help your, help your life, it better be from God, right? Okay. Now let's take a, an event in the Bible in the Old Testament to see... If it reveals to us if Jesus is in the Old Testament, okay? Look in your Bibles in Numbers chapter 21, okay? Turn your Bibles to Numbers 21. And this is about Moses and the people of God, okay? So I want to I I put the Bible on trial to see if it's from God. 
And so far, the Bible has said that Jesus was going to hang out in this area, and it said it was true. We know that because the oldest document was written long before Jesus was born, 200 B.C., if you want to take the conservative number. If you're faithful, take the 750 number and you'll grow spiritually. Okay? But for those who are doubting, the 200 B.C. number is factual. Okay? Uh, so we know that he was born in Judea, Bethlehem, because there was two of them. And we know that God said he's going to be hanging out in Nazareth, and that's the exact place where the tribe was. It's pretty, pretty close. So Numbers 21, verse 4. This is God's people and Moses. They traveled from Mount Or along the route to the Red Sea to go to Edom, to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread. There is no water. And we detest this miserable food. You ever complain before the Lord? I know I do. Then the Lord sent people to give everyone a hug. No? No? The Lord did not send someone to hug you. He sent venomous snakes among them. Why would God send a snake? They bit the people and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We have sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then God told Moses, Make a snake and put it on a pole. And anyone who is bitten can look at it, at this snake on a pole, and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then anyone, then when anyone was bitten by a snake, he looked at the bronze snake and they lived. Why is that in the Bible? How is that correspond to Jesus? Well, let's ask some questions. Why in the world would God ask Moses to hold up a snake? Isn't a snake, wasn't he in the garden? <sighs> Eat the fruit, did God really say? Why would God hold up a snake to say, look at that and live? We know that to be in the Bible as Satan, as evil, as the adversary of God, as, as sin. That would be sin. So Moses is asked by God to, to put this symbol of sin on a pole, lift it up, and if you got bit by a snake and you looked at this bronze snake, you would live. Why? It only takes one sin to kill you spiritually, correct? It takes one sin to separate humanity from God. It takes one. So one bite. What God was doing, he was creating what's called a foreshadow. He was using this event to tell you that something awesome is going to be happening. Why hold a snake on a pole? Well, we know that the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And in John chapter 3, look what Jesus says. If you can go back one slide. John 3 verse 14, Jesus says this. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Jesus was teaching this guy, Nicodemus, that just as, as Moses lifted up that snake, so Jesus, me, I'll be lifted up, and it will save those who believe. But why a snake? 
how can a snake be Jesus? That doesn't make sense. Well, it makes total sense because this. I want to go forward. If I could. There we go. Why would he hold up a snake? Because God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. So when, when Jesus is on the cross, the reason why he's like the snake is because he became literally like the snake. He became your arrogance, your lack of belief, your uncommitment, your sins, your immorality, your lust, your violence. He became it. Why did God ask Moses to do that? Because what he's doing, he's trying to show us that throughout this whole time, he had a plan. That Moses lifted the snake up. That the snake would look at it and it would, you would be healed of your venomous bites. And Jesus is the anti-venom. When he's raised up on a cross and we look at him and believe, it's the beginning of salvation. But maybe that didn't convince you. Maybe you're like, ah, it's a coincidence, Gio. Come on. That's just one story. Okay, let's take a look at another story. Let's put the Bible on trial today this morning. Look in your Bibles in Genesis chapter 22. If that is true, if God had Moses do that, he put a snake, and Jesus became our sin, then we know that that was a foreshadow, and that God was trying to communicate a message that he wanted to save mankind from themselves. See, God just didn't ad hoc the Easter thing. It wasn't like, oh man, they killed my son, what do I do next? Okay, poof, come back to life. No. God was very methodical and thoughtful through the scriptures to show us that, hey, I'm going to write this down and I want you to follow it. But our biggest challenge is, do we believe it? Do we believe this? Okay? So in Genesis 22, verse 1, Abraham, the father of our faith. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the, the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain, I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up to his father Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Interesting to note the symbol of the snake and the, and the, and the, the pole. You can find the symbol on an ambulance. Because even they understand this symbol means when you're in trouble physically, you can be healed. Okay? Genesis 22. Here are the questions. 
Abraham and Isaac. Abraham is the father. Isaac is the son. Okay? What day were they asked to go? Abraham is a type of God the father. Isaac is a type of Jesus the son. How am I going to prove that? Okay? Let's go back one slide. Let's take a look at this. Let's look at the scriptures here. Abraham took Isaac on the third day. God says, take your son, your only son. Later on, God says, he is my son, Jesus, my only son. Jesus carried the cross. Guess who carried the wood up the hill? Isaac carried the wood. Jesus carries the wood. Isaac is a type of Christ. Abraham is a type of the father. You know, Abraham got up early the next day. He wasn't like, man, this is too hard. God doesn't hold back. God was, he was very confident in giving us Jesus. Mount Moriah in Abraham's time is where the temple was built where Jesus was condemned to carry the cross. The same exact location. Just like Naphtali and and Nazareth, the same location. When Abraham was there, 2,000 years later, Jesus was there starting to carry the cross outside the temple. Was God trying to tell us something from the very beginning? That I will give you my son. You can trust this. You can believe it. You can put your life in this. Because from the very beginning, God was giving us the signs. Hey, this is what I'm going to do. This is what's going to happen. And in 1 Corinthians 15, look what it says. For what I received, I pass on to you as as the first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and then he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And in Hebrews 11, it talks about Abraham. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. That's why he says, we're going to go up and we'll both come down. Can you imagine that? Because he knows that God wanted to go up there and sacrifice his son. But yet Abraham goes, but we're both going to come down. Because he reasoned that God could even raise the dead. In a manner of speaking, he received back his son Isaac from the dead on the third day, which is the resurrection. Again, what was God trying to teach us in the Bible? Can you feel your faith growing a little bit? Going, wow, I didn't know that. Next time I see an ambulance, I'm going to be a little more fired up. Because when I was a kid, I thought, why is there a snake on the ambulance? You ever thought about that? Because even they understand the Old Testament. That it's a symbol of healing. Isaac carried the wood. I thought that was interesting. Jesus carries the wood. This is the question. This is what Jesus says to us in Luke 9, 23. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And there is Pontius Pilate. And there to his left is Barabbas. And there is Jesus. And the crowd is left to make a choice. Who do you want to believe? And Barabbas symbolizes, hey, I'm doing what I want to do in my life, and there ain't no one to tell me any different. I'm my own man. I make my own choices. I live and die by my word. That's Barabbas. That's why he was in prison. And then there's Jesus. And Jesus says, look, if you want to follow me, 
If you want to be saved, you got to carry your cross. Just like Isaac carried his cross, just like I carried my cross. You got to carry if you want to follow me. A lot of people like to follow Jesus, but want someone else to carry their cross. Hey, I'm just going to go to church, but you really live the life. Hey, come on, kids, we're going to go to church for Easter, but I'm not really carrying my cross, but I would like you to carry it. I want you to be an awesome, morally right young man, but as for me, well, I'm not going to carry my cross. And the children become bitter and burdened and says, if God is like this, I want nothing to do with him. Why do you think kids grow up distorted with their view of God? Because their view of God comes from their father. You paint the picture of God. Whether you like it or not, we're sorry, but that's just the reality. Whether your father is in your life, you think God is, doesn't want to know you. Whether your dad was overbearing, you think, God, when I mess up, he's always angry at me. I thought God was my mother for a long time. Because my mom was strong in the force. So my view of God was like, is he a lady? Must be a strong lady. Look what he says. You got to carry your cross. You know, carrying your cross and like, hello, life is great. I am a Christian. I'm super awesome. How are you doing? I'm always doing awesome. It should not be that way. When you're carrying your cross, you're more like this. Oh, why have I made this decision? I don't know what I'm doing. In it is difficult to carry your cross. It is hard to carry your cross. And he says, if you want to follow me, you must carry your cross. Or else you cannot be my disciple. He says it again. Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. He's pretty hardcore about that. He doesn't say, if you come to church a couple times a year, yeah, we'll count you in. No, you got to carry the cross. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Amen. I'm sorry you came here and I didn't give you a fluffy sermon. If you came first time you in our church, you know, we try to tell you the truth so you don't walk away deceived. And if it sounds overbearing, I'm, I, I truly, truly, I, I sympathize with you because when I sat here, I got... Did he really mean that? And the more and more I came, the more I go, man, that's exactly what Jesus said. And why in the world are so many people not doing it? That's what got me on this, on this adventure of being a Christian, a real one at least. Look at the things we have to deny ourselves. This is, this is the cross we have to carry. Because it says terrible times are in the last days. Now, I'm not saying we're in the last days. Don't get me wrong. Who knows? I don't know that. I'm not going to say anything about that. I don't know about that. But I do know this. I do know what people are like. I know that because I know what I'm like. People will be lovers of themselves. That's right. I love me. You love me? I love you more. Okay? Love me. Okay? We think about us. We think about ourselves first. Okay? Lovers of money in a down economy. I need money. I got to make it happen. I'll cheat, steal, and lie, but I need money. Boastful. They're, they, they, they're proud. They're, you know, they're, they, the boastful means they're arrogant. They talk about themselves. They puff themselves up. They're proud, abusive, physically, emotionally, socially. Disobedient to their parents. Hmm. Ungrateful. Unholy. Without love. These are the things that we have to die to ourselves. 
unforgiving. Is there someone in your life that you've, you refuse to forgive? You know, I, I'll forgive thee, but I cannot forgive this person. I mean, there's always someone on our list, is it not? There's always that one person. Slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness. In other words, they look the part. They dress the part. They're kind of polite until they get liquor in them. But deny its power. They don't have the power to change. So the facade is what people see. Hello. But inside, there's no power. There's no, they can't change. Having, have nothing to do with such people. This is the cross that we have to carry. These are the things that we have to fight, if not every other day, every day. Do we not? This is our cross. It's hard to be humble when your wife calls you out on your lack of self-control. Right, brothers? I wish she'd be more like this. Well, I wish she'd be more like this. And then he goes, round and round you go. This is the cross. This is what you must carry if you want to follow Jesus. A mother was preparing pancakes for her two sons, Kevin, five, and Ryan, three. The boys began to argue over who would get the first pancake. It's a classic in many households. Their mother saw the opportunity for a moral lesson. If Jesus were sitting here, he would say, let my brother have the first pancake. I can wait. That's pretty good. So Kevin Five turned to his younger brother, Ryan, and says, Ryan, you be Jesus. We can't pawn this off to somebody else. We can't say, hey, you be spiritual. I'm going to be over here. It's your choice. Today, you have to make a choice. And I'm sorry I had to call you to this choice, but that's what I do for a living. I make people make a choice. Either you choose Barabbas and you walk out of here. I'm doing what I want to do. Or you choose Jesus and you say, you know what? I'm going to carry my cross too. I'm 38 years old. I've been carrying my cross for 16 years. Sometimes I go, I throw it on the ground going, hey, duh, duh, don't like you. Just being honest. Yeah. Then I go, I got to pick this thing back up again. And it's harder to lift it up when I throw it down. Yeah. <laughs> so when I'm struggling, I just try to keep it. Like, it's hard. It's our choice. It's your choice. Thank you and have a happy Easter.